Good to see you here today. It's nice to have a weekend without rain. Make sure that, uh, is there anybody in the parking lot today? All right. Good to have you with us as well. Uh, as you can tell, if I'm up here, that means that uh, Calvin is away. His daughter's getting married and he's uh, away for that event. It's great. It's great stuff. It's also good to see you guys back there in the corner too. Back from your, your week. It seems appropriate that uh, we get started this morning with the prayer, so if you will join me. Lord God, as we uh, look at the message this morning, we pray for your blessing and your wisdom to fall on us. Help us, Father, to have ears uh, to listen and to recognize, Father, that you continue working with us uh, throughout all the days that we have. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care, and thank you for just opportunities like this to, to sing songs of joy and have prayers come before you. Uh, bless us this morning as we open the word. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ruth is a love story. If you want to go, ah, yeah, that's good. I was, I was wondering if you would. But it really is a love story. Um, maybe not the kind of love story you thought it would be, but it is a love story. And it's short. It's told in four chapters. And out of 87 verses in the book, 65 of them are dialogue. So in some ways, it, it's like a play, because that's kind of the format that plays work with, mostly dialogue. So let's go ahead and jump right into this book of Ruth. And now remember, it's, it's set in between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. So it's in an inauspicious time period. It's kind of like a nice pause in between two horrifying periods of time. So let's go ahead and look at the first five verses of the chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Those took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahalon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and husband. It's a very harsh way to start things. So what do we learn in these first five verses? First of all, it's said in the time of the judges. Now what that means for us is that it was a time when everyone did right in their own eyes. At this time, the land, the promised land, if you will, uh, is a land that is beset by a combination of good judges who run the place for a time, 
until the judge dies. Then things fall into disarray once again. Now, the uh, judges were usually of a military type. And so what you saw was a rise and fall of peace in in this country. We're told that a famine takes place. These things happen. And the logical place for them to go in a famine is the place that everybody else has gone in the past, and that is Egypt, because Egypt always has crops. But for whatever reason, they head to a place called Moab. So what are we looking at here? Moab, uh, if you're looking on the map, they're from this region, Bethlehem, and they travel across the Jordan over to this region. Generally, that region is a major, major desert, but for some reason it didn't, wasn't affected by the famine. Now, the thing also to remember that is, this is biblical literature. So these people are moving from this place, west of the Jordan, east of the Jordan. And if you follow your scripture pretty well, you'll notice that whenever people move east, they would move away from God. They're moving farther away from God. And bad things happen. And boy, did bad things happen in this case, right? So we learn also at this point that there are six characters that we're introduced to pretty quickly. And they each have unique and interesting names that affect who we see in these characters. Elimelech means my God is king. Very good. Naomi means my pleasant one or my lovely one. Great name. Mahalon, to be weak or sick. Kilion, to be frail, wasting away. Now, one of the things you might want to remember about the time is that infant life was on the edge. Children didn't always make it out of infancy. And so oftentimes, parents would wait until they were weaned to name their children. They didn't know if they were going to make it. And in this case, it probably reflects the name choices. That Malon was weak and Kilion was frail. So they marry after Elimelech dies. The two boys marry, and they marry Moabitesses. The two names we're given are Orpah, which means neck, or back of the neck of some sort. And in a verb form, it means to turn one's back on somebody. Okay? And then we have Ruth. We're introduced to Ruth, whose name means friendship. Each of these characters play out their name in the course of these four chapters. It's a very, very pretty story in a lot of ways. So, men are dead. We've got three widows left at this point. And all of this takes place in five verses. This is conflict. This is conflict in storytelling. And it sets up everything that'll happen from here on. It should flavor the way you see things. So Naomi hears that there's good property. The famine is over now, back in Bethlehem area. She's going to head back. And she's got 
her two daughters-in-law with her, and every one of them is a widow. So what does she say? What does she do? Chapter 1, 6 through 10. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. In one sense, Naomi is looking out for her daughters-in-law. If these three widows were to return, the two daughters-in-law would be seen as foreigners. Okay, they're going from Moab back into Judah. And when a, a daughter married into a family, the new family, that father head of the household became their father or father-in-law became their father as well but Elimelech was dead so in a sense we've got two women who are aliens orphans and widows difficult difficult thing but the reality is this we know from Levitical law that Israel was supposed to care for those people who were aliens orphans and widows. Now, there's another thing to think about in this situation. It could very well be that Naomi did not want to go back to her hometown and reveal to everybody else that she had let pagans into the family, because Moabites were definitely not the friendliest of people to most Israelites very possible that that's part of the story. But you'll notice that Naomi actually prays for these women, that they would pay back, that God would pay back loyal love to them as they had done to her sons and to the family. Wow. Most of the time, you're not going to find Israelites praying for pagans in that way. The other thing you'll notice in verse 9 is that Naomi wishes that they would find rest. And when we talk about rest in this situation, in this case, uh, what you're looking at is the rest comes from the household. They are not being given an opportunity to take a vacation. What they're being given is an opportunity to become part of a family and that performs some kind of a security which they could take on. And so she wants them to get married again because then they will be secure. Uh, their argument continu continues. Naomi says, no, you need to go back to your family. And Orpah, she says, okay, you're right. And we see the back of her neck as she leaves, right? She plays out her name. But we see Ruth doing something different. Ruth 
does this very famous line that we like to quote, right? Verses 16 and 18. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to go or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now the second half of verse 16 is what we put on coffee cups, right? Or you have on that little picture that you put on the mantle. It's very cute, it's very nice, it's very loyal, and it sounds good. What we don't do is put 17 on there. And we begin to see a little bit of who this character Ruth is. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She takes a vow before God to serve Naomi. She's pagan. She's a Moabitess. She is not of the clan of Judah. And her character shows her that she's, shows us that she is willing to sacrifice herself for the benefit of others. She is being a friend. So the next thing that happens is we've got Naomi uh, making that journey, along with Ruth, to Bethlehem. Naomi has, uh, has concerns. She feels that God has dealt her a harsh hand because she is returning to her hometown, a widow, and she's poor. She has no resources. It's going to be a desperate time. And she changes her name when she's asked, are you Naomi? She says, no, call me Mara. And Mara, we know from earlier scriptures, means bitterness. Bitter waters of Mara from Genesis, from Exodus. But again, we see something uh, of who Naomi is. She's not only lovely, but she's smart. In chapter 2, 1 and 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. As they begin to settle back into Bethlehem, something goes on. They recognize that there is a need for them to have some stability of some sort. And they need food. They need to eat, very simply. And, they, and we learn that Naomi is resourceful, but we also learn that Ruth is resourceful as well. And we learn that Naomi and the family have been good Israelites. Now remember, this is taking place in the time of the judges, in which everyone does right in their own eyes. But what we're seeing here is people who are a remnant adhering to what God's laws says. And God's law says you will take care of the orphans and the widows and you will set aside a portion of your field that they may glean from it. 
And that's what Ruth proposes to do. That is exactly what Ruth proposes to do. And in verse 1, Naomi tells us that there is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Some translations will have wealthy man of the clan of Elimelech. He has fields. He's got money of some sort. Uh, But he is worthy, and we'll see him play out. Now, what's interesting here is his name uh, is different. It's Boaz, but it means alacrity, which means promptness or eager and speedy readiness. Someone who is of strength. And oddly enough, he, he is a man of strength. He is a man of character, but the exact word, nobody knows the origin of it. It's, it's obscure meaning. So this is the name, that the words, these are the characteristics that are attached to this word and play out in this character. And so Ruth goes off to glean and ends up in his field, which was the plan all along, right? But what happens there is something interesting. Uh, Boaz takes a liking to her. He sees her, and something clicks. And so he gives her special privileges. And remember, we're talking about a Moabitess who's a widow, who's in a foreign land, being treated well by an Israelite. Oh my. That's a scandal in and of itself. But we see it taking place because I think we're supposed to also see that God is doing a little pushing and shoving here. God is making things happen because God is always on the move, doing what he needs to do when and where he needs to do it. So Ruth finally sees all the things that she's being given, all the access she's been given, and she says, all right, what's, what's going on here? What's going on? Chapter 2, 10 through 13. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to Boaz, said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. A prayer being given for a pagan woman in Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So officially, she was by no means a servant. Fascinating situation. And Boaz explains very simply I'm treating you this way because of what you have done. Your character has shown me who you are. And Ruth has trusted in God. Wow, it's an incredible thing. And it reminds us that we don't have to be knit into the family to be part of God's family. God accepts us and expects us. 
And then some time passes. It happens that uh, Ruth works through the barley and the wheat harvests. And chapter 3 takes us to an interesting place. Time has passed, and Naomi is back at it again. Did I pass it by? No. All right, let me go look and read this from my, my Bible here. I didn't put it on the slide. Naomi is continuing, continually thinking ahead, and she's planning. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not sing, seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley at night on the threshing floor. She is setting up a situation that is very unexpected. Very unexpected. And I think we're seeing God again uh, playing a part in this. And you'll notice that she says she's still seeking rest for Ruth. In other words, she's still seeking that situation of security for Ruth. Now, the rest that we're looking at, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but when they entered the promised land, they were promised that the land that they would come to, they would have access to, and the rest was going to be a place of permanence. Ultimately, in this case, rest means marriage. And Ruth does exactly what the plan is. And what the plan is, well, that's, the, that's where we're heading. We're not, gonna, we're not there yet. What the plan is, is that um, Naomi tells Ruth that you're going to go and lay at the feet of Boaz. This is a bold thing. What she's doing is culturally not normal. She is going to do an act that will uh, basically be a, her asking Boaz to marry her. It's a proposal of sort, but in a culture and a way that we're not used to by any means. But think about what she's going to be doing here. She is a servant, or even not even a servant, asking her boss to marry her. She's a Moabite making a demand of an Israelite She's a woman making a demand of a man in a culture where that didn't happen. And she's a poor person making a demand of a rich person. There is no reason this plan should succeed unless, well, you and I know what that unless means. Just a, a, a thought here uh, about the situation just to see uh, what was really going on because I've read this passage for years and I've never made sense of it. One commentator, he said this, during the time of harvest, the threshing floor was a public place and that these incidents all took place in the open. 
Both men and women were lying about the threshing floor. Entire families were gathered there. There was not much privacy connected with such circumstances, but it was the custom of the day and not considered immodest or even questionable. This was a happy family gathering in the spirit of a religious festival. Naomi has told Ruth to go in when everybody is sleeping during this harvest time among all these other people and do this culturally appropriate proposal to Boaz in public. In one sense, in public, in the sense that they're all together in this one area. But it's not being done out in the daylight. It's being done at night, right? And basically what that shows us is that she is giving Boaz the opportunity to say, I don't want to marry you. I don't want this marriage to happen. Because she goes in at night and she leaves before daybreak. So the question comes up, why didn't Boaz just ask her to get married, right? I mean, it seems like that's the way it should work. He liked her, we know that. He gave her all these privileges. She was being treated as though she was a member of the family. So why not? Well, first of all, he tells us in verse 10, he assumed that she would want to marry a younger man, someone closer to her age. And second of all, he knew something that maybe she didn't know. And that was that he wasn't the kinsman redeemer. And he, she was not eligible for marriage by anyone but the kinsman redeemer at this time. So we're seeing a guy, Boaz, who is righteous. He knows the law and he knows what's right to do. And he knows how to respond to it. And we're seeing Ruth, a widow, foreigner, an orphan, knowing herself what to do. And they're both honorable characters. These are people of God. These are people of God serving in the way that needs to be done. And now we come to this passage that's been sitting up in front of you for a little bit. Chapter 4, final chapter of this big drama, right? It's four-chapter drama. And what's interesting is uh, the marriage proposal itself doesn't happen. I mean, other than her asking him if he will marry her. The proposal takes place in the form of a negotiation, and it has to do with the buying and selling of property. And this is the way things were done. A re- witnesses are brought together from the town in the daylight, The redeemer, the kinsman redeemer who is available, is told to sit down and let's negotiate this thing. And here's the situation. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me, that I may know, for there there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead 
in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz is a really smart guy. He sets it up so that the unnamed redeemer really can't reject the offer without being and becoming dishonorable. He had an obligation, this unnamed man, to do this, to buy the property and to gain this wife, Ruth. But for what reasons we don't know, maybe because he was doing what was right in his own eyes, but for whatever reason, he says, I don't want my inheritance juxta, not juxtaposed, messed up. I don't want my, in my inheritance messed up, is, is his excuse. The problem is that Levitically, that was not a legal thing. His inheritance wouldn't be affected by buying Naomi's property. So this guy rejects it, but Boaz gets the access to not only the property and to Naomi, but also to Ruth for marriage. And that brings us up to this uh, passage, I thought, that John Walton, uh, Matthews, and Chevalis write. He writes, by purchasing all of Naomi's property and goods, Boaz has undertaken the total care of Naomi and the obligation to support her in life and provide for her in death. By acquiring Ruth, he has obligated himself to give her the opportunity to bear children, the first of whom would then become the heir of Abimelech and his sons. Blessings connected to marriage rarely address the relationship between husband and wife. Instead, they focus on children. The blessing of creation as well as the covenant blessing anticipated reproduction as the blessing of God. So by taking care of business this way, by Boaz doing what he was supposed to do and needed to do under God's guidance, of course, uh, we see him doing what is right. When this unnamed redeemer rejects the offer that's given to him, he is doing what we would think of and should think of as not really rejecting God, but he's choosing what's right in his own eyes, which some people would say is the taking on of empire, doing what I like to do, versus doing God's will, which is peace and forming peace and bringing rest. And we see this juxtaposition here of two things. The unnamed man chooses empire himself. Boaz chooses peace or shalom. So the book of Ruth ends with a marriage. Uh, takes place. Child is born, Obed. And we're told that Obed is the uh, grandfather to David. So the book of Ruth starts with three funerals and it ends with one wedding. Pretty, pretty good for a story, right? So what are we supposed to see here? What is it we're looking at? Well, the book of Ruth is really a love story, but it's not just a love story. 
It's a love story about some righteous characters doing what they're supposed to do. It's a love story about God's people and the God that they serve. It's a love story where people choose to be obedient to God's will. And this is a theme that plays out over and over and over again. Remember, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He says this multiple times. And in the middle of this love story, we see Boaz and Ruth, but we also see Boaz and the Israelites having this relationship with their God, doing these commandments, being the remnant in the midst of the time of the judges. People remember the alien and the orphan and the widow. And this is a very practical story for us. God will restore and does restore, especially for those who serve him and who listen. And this is a storyline that begins in Genesis and runs all the way through the Bible. Robert, if you want to come up. The characters that we see playing out in this story, very short story of four chapters, are very honorable. We see them acting out their names in many cases, but this takes place in the situations of very everyday people. These are not extraordinary leaders. These are not people of renown. They are just you and I playing out our roles in every day doing the right thing rather than doing the thing that's good for me. We see blessings take place here. Blessings that take place not only for Israel and for Israelites, but for those who have been brought in, aliens, orphans, and widows. God has constructed this story. And as we close this morning, I'd like you to Think about what it means to serve the living God. We have been brought in. We've been grafted in. And we have that opportunity every single day to serve God. Every single day. But will we live up to the name that God has given to us? Will we be the servants that God wants us to be? If you have any needs this morning, as we close, I'd like you to come forward. I'll, I'll be standing up here and we can, we can pray for you if you have something that you would like me to do. Um, if you're ready to become a Christian, the water for baptism is prepared. Shall we stand and sing?